Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our past may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey friends, welcome back. Today, I am beyond excited to be sharing the mic with one of my absolute best friends who also happens to have one of the most impressive resumes on the planet, Ashley Stahl. Before launching into entrepreneurship, Ashley was a counterterrorism professional for the Pentagon. Today, Ashley's passion lies in helping her clients find their purpose, land more job offers, build their confidence, and launch successful service-based businesses. She is the creator of the Job Offer Academy, which has helped more than 57 job seekers land jobs across 30 different countries and Cake Publishing, a ghost and copywriting house for influencers. She's a writer for Forbes. Her work has been featured in TEDx, The Wall Street Journal, CBS, Self, the list goes on and on. She basically knows a thing or two about not just having a successful career, but finding meaning and also fulfillment in your career as well. So if you're wondering what the heck does this have to do with health and your relationship with your body, the answer, my love, is everything. More often than not, many of our habits for food stem from and are triggered by or influenced by our work environment and our work-life balance. So I've asked Ashley to help me navigate the intersection of your career and your body so that you can make a pivot into a career that you love or potentially upgrade the career that you've got. I know you're going to absolutely love this episode. So let's meet Ashley. Welcome Ashley Staub to the show. Thank you. Here I am getting to talk to my best friend on a podcast. (laughs) I know. I'm so excited to have you. I was last night thinking about questions I was going to ask you. And because I know the multifaceted multi-dimensional life that you have lived. You've lived in all of the stories and the journeys and how much wisdom you have. I literally couldn't even think of where to begin. And I was like, how do I even start with my best friend on my podcast? But a little bit of background about why I wanted to have Ashley on the show is that a lot of times in my business, I see that people come to me because they have an unhealthy relationship with food or their body or they're not moving, or they're not feeling inspired. And so often we track that to their career. And we track that to the relationship they have with with finding inspiration and doing something that they love. And Ashley is one of the absolute top, top, top experts in the world for helping you shift your mindset around creating a life that you love in your relationship to your career and your business. And so I wanted to have you on just to have this conversation because... So often, yeah, we don't need the career. We don't actually need the health coach. We need the career coach. And so I often refer them out to you, right? I'm like, you actually should just be taking Ashley's coach course and not actually having the conversation with me until you really find that inspiration and really discern what it is that you're lacking in your business or what's holding you back in taking that step into a new career that you love. 
So let's talk about your journey and where you started. And for those who don't know it, which is this profound experience that you kind of trans, you know, move through throughout your life. I would love to just get some background on that because I think people will be so fascinated by how you got into this work to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I really hear you on health because I think about how, and, and obviously I'm no expert with body and I'm always asking you questions, but I know that when I'm not having a good day, there's certain vices that we all turn towards and some of it has to relate to food for some people, others it's shopping, drugs, whatever have you. And I think that my career was one of the biggest heartbreaks early into my career because I realized what a big deal it was. Like you kind of sometimes look at your life and you just talk like bullet points, like I'm going to go to work and then I'm, I'm going to have a job and I'm going to do this and I'm going to buy a house. But it's like we forget in the middle of all these bullet points that that's our life and our career we spend 90,000 hours at on average in our lifetime, which is one third of our waking life on this planet. And so okay. I think people are grossly sometimes underestimating when they're in college, especially or when we're young, what it's going to actually feel like, or we get kind of tied in checking boxes. And so for me, like a lot of people, when I got to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I felt all of this pressure to pick a major. And I remember going to career services and asking her like, hey, you know, what should I pick? And she gave me all of the three worded tirades or whatever have you that we all heard, like, follow your bliss, follow your passion, do what you love. It was like, what is like, that just got me nowhere. And I ended up just picking something for the sake of it, which by the way, sometimes is the best thing you could do. So I picked government, I picked history, I picked French, I grew up in a house where the news was always on and I was always very curious about the world because I kind of grew up in a house where my uncles and my dad were always debating. My dad's very democratic. My uncles are very Republican. So it made for a very like spicy debate. And as a kid, I kind of came up with my own opinions because of it, whether they were for better or for worse. And so it was kind of natural for me to study politics because there's some part of me. And I think it was the part of me that wanted to matter. I think it was the part of me that had a dad who was really busy growing up that I got his attention when I was achieving. And I wanted to be someone. And so I thought, who better to be than a senator or the president of this country? And so there was like some weird inner power trip that I was like, I'm going to study politics and I'm going to be someone. And so I ended up doing all of the things relating to counterterrorism, national security. Growing up around 9-11 really inspired me to focus that government bug in me on counterterrorism. I learned foreign languages. When I was a little kid, I was fluent in Spanish. And then I learned French throughout middle school, throughout college. And it's so funny to tell you this because you know everything about me, but I'm realizing through this interview, you'll probably learn new things. But yeah, so it's like these were all natural things for me. And I always loved people. And I was always curious about traveling the world, feeling the world, feeling how small we all are as people. Like maybe we have big souls, but we are such small bodies on this huge planet. And I was so curious to know what everybody else is up to and, and how fascinating it really is that everybody's living in their own world. So I ended up getting a job in counterterrorism after so much pain and heartbreak. And this was really the crux of, of my journey. Okay. So I ended up coming out of grad school with a shiny degree, top 25 program in the world, and couldn't get a job. It was the recession. I was so scared. And I was actually pretty excited about my career. So to come home and not be able to get anything and sleep on my parents' couch for months and months and months on end was one of the most painful things. So eventually I did what a lot of people do. I took what I could get. I thought I had to get my foot in the door. I asked people to pass my resume around and I ended up accepting an admin job making less than minimum wage pretty much. And um, by the time I paid for my parking at the office, I wasn't even making minimum wage. And 
I couldn't make ends meet. I couldn't even live on my own. And so I had to stay with my parents. And there's this one day where I was feeling completely heartbroken in my job, counting down until 5 p.m., thinking there's got to be more than this. And so I called my university and asked them if they had a list of college alumni who graduated and moved to D.C. And they emailed me 2,000 names of alumni who moved to D.C. And I told myself, I'm going to take Arabic classes at UCLA at night and I'm going to become fluent in Arabic so that I'm the best candidate for the CIA. And I'm going to call every single person on this list and I'm going to learn how to talk to people until people talk to me. So I moved through this list of 2,000 people and I would say about five to 600 people in because a lot of people hung up or didn't pick up at all. I started to learn how to talk to people. I had about 40 people by that point who really were nice to me, probably in just, you know, helpful, jovial. And they started to all ask, it kind of became a pattern and a trend. Are you going to be in the district? Because I know somebody you should meet with. And so I bit the bullet, quit my job with $3,000 in my bank account. And that was when I learned how to job hunt. So I met with hundreds of people in Washington, D.C. over six weeks, landed three job offers, learned how to negotiate salaries because the people who I met helped me. And I ended up making nearly six figures as a management position at the Pentagon in D.C. And this time in my life was what taught me what I hold as one of the most important things, especially for a woman to know in her career, which is job hunting. I think people focus so much on their trade and they don't focus on how they're going to get there. And your job hunting skills are your golden ticket. How do you interview? How do you talk to people? Do people like you? That hits your bank account. That hits your opportunities. That's what gives you freedom. Like you never feel like you're beholden somewhere. So I, when I got all those job offers, I was like, this is the most powerful thing I've ever learned. And so I started showing friends and that evolved into them bringing their friends around. And that evolved into me getting kicked out of a Starbucks in DuPont Circle because nobody bought coffee and everybody just wanted. And I was literally on what looked like a soapbox, but standing on a chair doing a free workshop at Starbucks is what it evolved into on the weekend. So it was Pentagon during the week. I was working on a program relating to the Taliban and it was job hunters during the weekend. (laughs) And I ended up, uh, people would come to me and say, you should be a career coach. And I'm like, that sounds ridiculous. And then I became a career coach and went on to hire a coach, learn how to launch a practice monetize it, create online courses. And of course, I've had huge ups and downs as an entrepreneur with that, you know, really succeeding and launching a course, which is now called the Job Offer Academy on how to land a new job you love, and then completely going under losing millions of dollars and having to reinvent myself as an entrepreneur as well. And then... Sorry, we're going to continue. No, no, no. I was like, what's next? Yeah. Can you dive into a little bit more about the losing millions? Because I think that that was when I had interviewed you at the Rising Glen Collective. Yeah. For you know dozens of entrepreneurs who were like, but then how did you survive? What happened next? What was the part of you that really was like, okay, it's not over and I really want to create something new out of this? And how did you move through that? Yeah, I feel like when you start a business and you want to be an entrepreneur, you are so hungry to see it work. You're not thinking about keeping it alive. You're not thinking about if the market changes. You're thinking about today. And when I saw my business start working, I was so excited. I'd worked so hard. I'd gone about $150,000 into debt. So the flow of my career coaching business was I started as a career coach with a private practice. My practice got really, really full. It still exists. It's still full. And I was like, you know what? I need to leverage myself and this job hunting information could get out there more affordably to a lot of people. So... I spent 150k on credit cards, creating this course, spending a lot of money I didn't need to spend. Like it makes me cringe to think about the amount of web pages I didn't need. And eventually, I created a webinar and 
It was called How to Land a New Job You Love. And at the end, I talked about my course, which is now the Job Offer Academy. And I remember working and working and working on this for a year. And then one day, it clicked. And after it was failing time and time again, every week, I'd pay for advertising on Facebook ads, collect an audience, do the presentation, and nobody would buy my course. And then after just really committing to this webinar and learning everything I could about writing good copy, I converted and ended up getting 40 clients in one call, which was $40,000 of revenue. And I thought it was a fluke. And then I kept doing it every week and it kept working. The numbers held. And I remember the shift in my life, realizing like, I have a different life now. I don't have to be this person. And it took me a week and a half to pay off all this debt I had accrued over years creating this. And I remember walking around the world feeling like a different person. And there was a part of me that knew that it was going to take off. Like, I've never felt such an intuitive pulse towards something as I did with this program. I just felt so passionate about like what job hunting did for my life and what it was doing for people I was helping that I was like, people need this. And it ended up succeeding. And then eventually I made one of the most expensive decisions in business and in your personal life you could make. And it was denial. I started seeing the numbers go down on Facebook ads. I started noticing that my advertising, my cost per lead got more expensive over the course of six months. And I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe it. And believe me when I tell you, everybody whose job was linked to this business didn't want to believe it either. So that kind of taught me like as a leader, your job is to see things as they are, not better than they are, not worse than they are, but as they are because you're constantly in leadership and that means running something to success. And for me, I was in denial. I didn't want the numbers to go down. So I didn't want to see and believe that they only were. And it, it just kept getting worse. And I kept telling myself, I've got a golden goose egg. I can create a new ad and it's going to get better lead costs. And after a year of literally trying everything, my profits were so slim. I looked at myself in the mirror. I had millions of dollars in payment plans coming my way. And I thought, I'm going to eat all of these payment plans and keep my team alive and keep trying. And eventually when I had no choice but to turn off the business, like I'd spent every penny it made on trying to keep it working. And I hired every expert you can imagine. And that was one of the loneliest things as an entrepreneur to look around and realize there's no expert that can help me anymore. I've become an expert and now it's on me to innovate and find a way out. So the business went under. I let go of my team. You know, being the ultimate job seeker, I got them all job offers before I let them go. And I sat in my room. I think that was, you know, you, you and I had been well into our friendship at that point. So called you sobbing during that. And just had that whole moment of like fetal position on the floor, like everything I worked for in the life I thought I was going to have. And believe me, if I was more responsible um, as far as like not being in denial, I would be having a different life, you know. And I just thought, okay. And one of the most powerful questions I've ever been asked, and it was by Mary Morrissey, it's what can I do from where I am now with what I have now to get closer to? And you fill in whatever goal you have. And I just thought, what can I do from where I am now with what I have now to get closer to being able to pay my bills? And I wrote everything. And the rule with this exercise isn't is you don't want to restrict your energy. So I even wrote driving for Uber. And I was like, no way am I going to drive for Uber. I'm the ultimate job seeker. But I didn't want to get a job, even though I knew I could get one in five minutes being me, because I wanted to stay with my schedule being free because I knew I could create something else. So I thought, okay, getting a job is giving up on what I know I can do. So I sat in my room. 
I wondered if I was going to lose my friends like you, like all of our girlfriends, Sarah, that, you know, make so much money. Like, am I not going to be qualified to have these friendships because maybe they're not going to see my advice as worthy or valuable because I lost everything. And I realized what I have right now is a team of ghostwriters, of publicists, of copywriters, like people who have helped me in my business. And I have so many people asking for referrals. I preferred one writer out so much. Other entrepreneurs wanted them to write blog posts for Forbes or you know, email sequences by the copywriter, you name it. My publicist was getting people on TV. I referred my talent so many people that they had less time for me. And that was when I decided I'm going to create a company. I'm going to absorb them into this company. So that became Cake Publishing Ghostwriting House. Cake, because I love eating birthday cake. And you know that. You're the first person to know. You you guys who are listening, Sarah has completely sponsored my love for cake. But in a vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, happy birthday to you way. <laughs> well, we've only taken out one thing at a time. So first, the gluten. <laughs> there have been so many times I've been around you, Sarah, where you like look at a habit I have and I can see the health coach on your face. Like, oh my God. But you know what? We've totally influenced each other by osmosis. Like, mm-hmm. I like to think that sometimes you live a little more like... On the edge. Yeah, a little on the edge. Yeah, like maybe there's like sugar in that cake. And then with me, I've totally shifted. And, you know, like I'm in my new relationship now that I talk to you about so much. And it's like mm-hmm. so funny because he was like, one of the things I love about you the most is like, you think a little bit about what you put in your body. I'm like, oh, that's Sarah Stewart right there. Like that's <laughs> brought that's to you amazing. by Sarah. Yeah. But yeah, so I ended up like filing this business and sending a few emails to people. And what I learned about success is that when you create it, people trust you no matter what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. I thought, and I also learned about failure that people don't focus as much on it. People don't think because you're, if you made a real impact and you really put yourself out there, if your business failed, people are more like thinking about who you were and what you created and what's possible because you're the common denominator of that. So I had so many friends and people with businesses who reached out and hired my ghostwriters, hired my copywriters. I spent a lot of time managing my writers, making sure that they could create a good product and Next thing we knew, we were writing blog posts for anyone from the Victoria's Secret model who doesn't want to write her Vanity Fair column to the business executive CEO who doesn't want to write his ink column and everything in between. So we've done so much writing. We've gotten you know people asking us to write essays for their thesis, like you name it, and books. So it's been like a very fascinating thing, writing books for people, all these pieces of us, book proposals. And what I'm learning throughout all of it is that when you really connect with possibility, you can monetize anything. Like we can monetize the fact that we speak English right now and put ourselves on Upwork and sell English lessons. There are apps for us to become English tutors. Like, and then you can multiply and get so many clients that now you have English tutors working under you. It's like business isn't a mystery. My biggest mystery has not been business. It's been what do I want to do? Because I'm finding that I can achieve, but really achieving something I want to achieve That has been like a huge focus question and piece of art that I think in my friendship with you, I'm constantly having these conversations of like, what do I actually want to be doing? And as a career expert, so many people turn to me, especially in the workforce for what can, what do they want to do in the workforce? That's easy for me because the way I see the workforce is there's a lot of boxes that align with people's skill sets and there's a lot of different types of jobs in those. And I know what those jobs are. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're creating something out of thin air. It's pure self-expression. And so for me, there's so many things that I want to do that the work has been, what do I actually want to do? 
Hey there, are you loving this podcast? Well, a simple way to support is to head over to sarahannstewart.com and join the newsletter. Doing this ensures that you are never going to miss out on any details of new projects, products, upcoming events, or behind the scenes stuff that I only share with my inner circle. Also by joining, you're going to get access to the movement, which means you are part of a free community of individuals standing in their power to live a diet-free life in a body that they love. So head on over to sarahannstewart.com and subscribe, and I'll see you on the inside. When you were in the depth, so I know the answer to this, but I think it's important to have this conversation because I think that when we're in the depth of the pain around our career or finances, it is one of the most heartbreaking moments of I'm not worthy. What am I going to do with my life? I'm not deserving of a relationship. I'm not deserving of my partnership. I'm not deserving of my friendships, right? We went through, we've both yeah. been through that, right? Where how will my friends even relate to me if I'm not making money or can't pay the bill, you know, when we go out to dinner or totally. whatever, whatever that is. And so I'm curious how that shifted for you in terms of shifting that unworthiness component to the place you are now, where it's like now you have this incredible book deal with Hay House, like now you're doing, you know, you just got off the stage of a TEDx talk, like all these incredible things are now happening again. And can you take us through that process that basically helped you move through that place of like brokenness to where you are now? Because when people are broken is where I feel they're most likely to fall off the health bandwagon, right? They're most likely to say, I'm going to sabotage with food. I'm going to sabotage without going to the gym. I'm going to sit on my couch and (laughs) eat the ice cream and and not move and take care of myself, which is actually the reverse of what we should be doing. We actually should be taking better care of ourselves and have greater self-care because we're in that place of stress. And so what did you do to move out of that relationship that you were facing with yourself that was, I'm broken, who am I? What do I have left to create on this planet? It's so interesting because I've seen both sides. Like when I'm not feeling powerful in my career, I'm either turning towards comfort food or I'm turning towards control. Like, oh, well, if my career sucks, then I at least want to have a banging body and a good dating life. You know what I mean? So it's been one or the other. So I would say it definitely when my career takes a hit, like something is going on with my body whether I'm seeking comfort or seeking control. And I'm aware of it. So it's never going to take... It never runs me. I'm just noticing it. But as far as how I sat through that time, look, I ended up with negative 500000 off of $5 million of revenue in two months. So making millions of dollars and thinking I'm going to... I went house shopping and on the beach in Malibu. It's like thinking I was going to be able to support myself and kind of like, you know, just hang out for a while and then realizing that's not happening... It was really painful. So there was a period of time where I just had to tend to myself and I couldn't even talk about it with people and because I had too much shame. But there was like a choice that I had. I could claim bankruptcy, which something about that felt really intimidating, or I could pay it off myself. And I don't know what possessed me, Sarah. And I, I don't know if I've ever asked you what you think possessed me, but I chose to pay off the whole thing. And now I'm at my last $70,000 for this debt. And... I feel a lot more empowered talking about it because something about 500,000 felt like, oh, I'm light years away from dealing with this. And that was two and a half years ago. But now with 70,000, I'm like, oh, this is the home stretch. I'm a business owner. I'm paying my bills. I'm living my life. I can handle this. And so I think I feel less shame about it. Um, but obviously, that's an outside thing trying to make me feel better on the inside. Mm-hmm. I think on the inside, 
I tested my friendships, like, and I came to the conclusion that like anyone who doesn't like want to hang out with me because my business isn't booming wasn't really my person anyway. So there was a huge sense of trust that came over me in my life of like, I really trust who can be there. And I also found that, and I hate to say this because it kind of doesn't go along with everything people want to think, but I'm learning that there is an element of luck in business. Like, yes, you create. Yes, there's good steps you can take. Yes, you will have a level of success if you take the steps and you have the content to back it. But sometimes there's an element of like, it's the right time in the market. And the way you're doing it is the right time for the market to hear it. And so I also started to look at everybody's success as, yes, this is a successful, capable person, but success moves, the market moves. And I really started to just speak to people and friends openly about what I was going through one by one. And with every person who accepted me, saw my spirit, wanted my wisdom, like I can't tell you how many times you and I or or Alyssa, like all of us girls have gotten on the phone and I've noticed that you still value my advice. That's been really healing for me. And so I think the ultimate healer has been my community. And you have a huge community, Sarah, but when I say community, I actually think of probably five of you, you know, my little mini village. And I was talking to a friend last night about this because she's kind of in like vulnerability expectation hangovers with people Mm -hmm. all the time where she wishes that they wanted to, you know, give more of themselves to her or follow through better with her. And what has been so healing for me is knowing who are the people that I really, really choose to bear my soul with and show all of myself with, and then not really being so attached to what anybody else thinks. And I have such nurturing, deep connections with you, with Alyssa, you know, with us girls that I'm kind of cool because I'm like, eh, if the rest of the world doesn't like me, I have like five people that I spend my time with. And you guys, and people don't realize how you spend your time, where you spend your time becomes your universe. Like, I was writing my book for Hay House, you know, like in the same coffee shop for two weeks in Paris. And I started to know that cafe, like the guy and like the regular and what the regular orders and the girl who's like writing her her (laughs) blog. And it started that that two weeks. I realized like it was such a vortex for me. I was like, this is becoming my universe. Uh Like, and I was realizing this is people's lives. Like if you work two miles down the street and you drive back and forth those two miles every day, those people, those two miles, that becomes your universe. And so I realized like surrounding myself with you girls is a very good universe to be in because, and I'm very insulated and happily so, you know, like I'm aware there's another world going on of people who don't have friendships that support them or whatever, but I'm just so invested and immersed in it that Mm -hmm. my self-esteem started to go up because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in full agreement. Like when I moved to LA, I remember right when moving here, I was like, I have no friends. I literally knew no one here. I I had known some people through the summit community and so forth, but no one that I was deeply connected with or, or did, I didn't have a community then. And I remember like the universe just brought us together and you had met my husband. Um, and you know, we like passed each other at a conference and then, and then this community started building and I was very fortunate to be introduced to one of, you know, your best friends, Alyssa, who has become one of our best friends and this, this community that, that feels very strong and rooted in that. And so I think it is very important to think about that side of it. Like if I were to lose everything, if my life didn't look the same, who would still be in my space and who would hold space for me during that transition? And I think I work with a lot of women who, 
you know, when I talked about it, like getting rid of my implants and shifting, you know, different parts of my life, there was a lot of women who said, well, that's the type of the community that I'm in. It's this competitive sort of space. And it was heartbreaking for me to hear Mm -hmm. because I look at my life and I look at us and I'm like, that's not even part of our reality, right? It's like, if you hit rock bottom, if I hit rock bottom, it's like, you have a bedroom at my house. Mm-hmm. I have a bedroom at And yours. I've used it. I've used it many a time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, move in. I want you to move in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to start to recognize who is in your community and ask yourself, if I lost everything, would, would these people still be in my in my space? And so can we talk about what you went through with the backlash on social media? Yeah. To some extent. Is that cool? Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I think it's really, really important right now, specifically with what's happening online and how we're basing so much of our worth on what people say to us online that don't know who we are, who are creating judgments around their own wounding, who are looking at our pictures or looking at our life or looking at our courses, or they didn't get what they quote unquote thought the overnight success from our courses were, whatever the case may be. And there's a lot of projection happening. And the reason I bring it up is because so often I see this where people are, again, sabotaging their health, their well-being, their relationship to themselves, their relationship to their career because of what people say to them online or because of the judgment of other people, whether it's in person or online. And I know you went through this to a very high extent. Um, And so I'm curious how you've dealt with that what your thoughts are on that and maybe some words of wisdom around really creating some space from being online to some extent and how you're doing that and still creating viral videos and so forth. Yeah, well, the number one distinction that I've learned throughout all of this is that you're responsible to your clients, not for your clients. Mm -hmm. And what that means to me is that as long as you're showing up in integrity, you've used your own content, you believe in it, it's worked for you, it's working for other people, you know what the methods are inside and out, that's your responsibility to somebody. So I don't take on clients I can't help, whether it's in my private practice. Obviously, I have less control in my courses. People just buy them on my website. But I try to monitor that and I try to be fearless in my no. So sometimes I have a call with somebody who wants to hire me to help them figure out what they want to do in their career. They're making a career pivot. They want a job offer, whatever. And even if something inside me against reason tells me they're not a fit, I just tell them, I don't think this is a fit and I don't know why. And some people get bummed about that, you know, but I trust that. So the first thing is just to make sure you're being responsible to your clients. And anytime you're feeling like a responsibility for them, it's like, I can't go into the job interview for them. I can't negotiate their salary for them. There's so many steps that somebody needs to take on their own. And that comes down to their personality. When it comes to what I went through, my webinar, we were spending over $10,000 every day on Facebook ads at the height of it. So it's one of those things. And I kind of just looked at it and thought, you know what? Every day there are different trolls commenting on my ads saying, and it was everything from this girl's really ugly to that outfit doesn't fit her. So things about my body or my face. And then obviously things about my content, like she's not smart. I took her webinar. She's just trying to sell you at the end. A lot of people are sensitive to being, you know, sold. And I remember hiring a virtual assistant in the Philippines, 24 hours shifts. So I had three assistants, eight hours each every day that were deleting troll comments and banning the person from my ad. And there was a period where people started going on Yelp and hating on me and 
people who never taken bought anything from me. And then meanwhile, you look at Yelp and you see my customers who are so happy with my product most of the time, you know, like 90% of them saying like this product changed my life. I got a job offer or this course changed my life. I figured out what I wanted to do. So first thing is I had my team create a spreadsheet of all the positive feedback, both from my email newsletter and my Facebook groups so that I could turn to that when I was feeling down because it really does bring you up. Um, Mm -hmm. Secondly, I did the work on myself. Like I looked at criticism and my favorite reviews became the three star reviews because those were the ones that I thought, okay, this person isn't eviscerating me and they're not like unhappy with me completely. These are people that might be more level headed that I could listen to. So I started to kind of not love the three-star review because I didn't want them hurting my reviews, but I started to appreciate and respect them. So I started kind of getting curious around people who gave me somewhat feedback to be like, okay, what can I implement from this? Or what are they trying to tell me that is helpful? And that became really powerful for me to be able to say, all right, well, they're telling me that my slides look a little bit cheesy. All right. You know, or they're telling me that I don't sound as professional when I talk. Then again, my customer liked that I was so casual in my communication that was helping my webinar get sales. So you can never totally win. And again, this kind of brought me back to community. I did a couple of videos with Refinery29 a year and a half ago, and they were career videos and New Year's resolution videos. And both of those went viral, got a million views in a day. And both of those videos, it was so painful for me because I had to really look at them see the feedback and let myself cry reading people saying like, you know, this girl isn't pretty. Her lipstick is scary. I see a face like this in my nightmares. And this began early on. Like I remember early into my coaching practice before I even created courses online, I was featured in the Wall Street Journal as somebody who moved from a career in counterterrorism to being an entrepreneur because the Wall Street Journal was fascinated by the career shift. And I remember sitting with that thinking like, okay, like this is what it is. And I remember the day it came out online, getting so excited, refreshing the feed, seeing my first comment. And somebody wrote under the comment box like, oh, we all see why this girl at 23 did really well and made it into the Pentagon, probably a Monica Lewinsky situation, like stuff like that. And I honestly, some of it was so ridiculous. And I ended up getting to a point where I kind of lost respect for the commenter. And now I've come to a healthier place where I'm neutral about all of it. But I used to be like, I don't remember the last time I knew anyone who like stopped and registered a free account at wallstreetjournal.com so they could comment on the random people that are being written about, you know, like it's the classic case of like, I'm in the arena, like, like the Roosevelt quote, it's like, I'm in the arena, my face is wet with dust, like, unless you're in the arena, I don't even care what you think, you know, so I got to an angry place. And then I got to a neutral place. And I think a lot of that comes back to you and I having our community like that community that you and I've created has set me free. And I think a lot of people who are listening right now, like to me, my definition of a really good community is not feeling like a burden to certain people. Like I can make pretty big asks of you, Sarah, and I'm pretty comfortable doing it. And I'm not like always asking you things, but if I need something and I want something and it's an inconvenience for you, Uh like I have gotten to a comfort level of like, hey, I know this is kind of annoying. Can you do this? And I don't feel like a burden. And that is the power of real community. Like, and I don't know how many people I could ask the things I ask of you and feel like they're going to be there. And I'm at peace with like, these are the few people that I can. And I'm so proud of that, you know, for that. Yeah. I remember sitting on a panel with you maybe like a month ago in LA, we did a, a panel on relationships, right? Relationships to ourselves, relationships to other people. And one of the most 
profound statements that I heard when you were asked about self-love and self-care and what does that look like? And uh, we were having a conversation around food and movement and you said, you know, self-love sometimes doesn't look like taking care of yourself from a place of food and movement. Sometimes it's the next level of balancing your debt or looking at your you know, the parts of your career that you have avoided or going to the place that you don't want to go, which is into those spaces, right? The places that were like, okay, I want to avoid my bank account. I want to avoid writing these checks this month. And so I just loved that. And I loved you sharing that conversation. And maybe you could just share a little bit more about how self-love isn't just food and movement and going to get cryotherapy and getting a facial. It's it's so much more and sometimes it's the place that is is the most painful. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people there's two different types of freedom that I learned in my masters in spiritual psychology at University of Santa Monica. They talked a lot about being free to life and being from free from life. So being free to life is being available to it. Like really accepting it for what it is. So there's no denial in being free to life. So if life looks like getting a flat tire on a day where you have like seven meetings, making yourself available to the fact that like, that's just not what's going to happen today. And you can emote about it and have a whole story about it and kind of lose your mind about it, or you can move into acceptance. So my personal development has been all about how much can I shorten that bridge from event to accepting it. And so one thing that I used to do was try and be free from life. And that looked like running away. That looked like, oh, wow, this is like really heavy. I'm going to go run away to Bali. I'm going to go like eat a bunch of chocolate. I'm going to go party at the club. And then it became being free to life, which was, and that's where I think the self-love actually is, is looking at the areas where your life is kind of cracking and being free to those and loving yourself in those. So that looked like, okay, I am in debt and it's a half million dollars. I can't afford my apartment anymore. I need to go to the cheaper massage place. And really accepting and loving myself for where I am right now. And that was one of the most challenging things that I've ever been through. And it was one of the most important shifts was gone are the days of, okay, I'm going to run away and eat chocolate and do seven massage treatments and try to figure out how I'm going to pay for this later. And here are the days of I really love myself. And that looks like making a spreadsheet and getting out of denial so that I can Mm -hmm. really have the life I want. Yeah. So, so powerful. I think it's funny, we veer on these like the pendulum swings, right? And so so often I've seen myself do this where it's like, I spend my entire week just saying, okay, I need to do all this self-care because I'm so burned out. And then it puts me even further behind, but I'm further behind because I'm avoidant of the things that actually need to get taken care of, which would actually lighten me up and free me. So I've witnessed that so often in my life as well. So I think it's so important. I think it's a really important question to ask yourself. And I always say like, is this self-love or self-sabotage? Like, am I using this behavior to love myself or am I using it to sabotage what I actually need to take care of? I'm curious if someone is like, I think the question I get the most is, okay, I've identified that my career is really causing me this unhealthy relationship with food or I'm, I'm sabotaging because of it or I'm not moving or I'm not really living my life to the fullest, but where do I start? So where would you recommend people just start with identifying what it is that could create, you know, more an enlightened, creative, inspirational life outside of what they're currently doing? Yeah, I would say everybody just um, start to connect to their body, figure out like, where do you feel anxiety in your life? And write down freeform writing without stopping yourself from writing. Uh All the things that you feel a sense of 
worry or anxiety about or that you wish weren't happening in your life. All the things you're resisting, the things that you wish weren't there. And then it's like looking at those, each one is an invitation to love yourself. So it's like, these are all the things that I wish were happening. So how do I love myself through them? And that could really look like, okay, what's not happening right now is like, I want to find a romantic partner. Okay, how can you love yourself? Maybe that means like going to the gym and like getting some movement because you don't feel like your best self and you're going out with your girlfriends, but you're kind of shrinking back because you don't even like yourself. So it's like, where are all of the things that stress you out invitations for anxiety or not anxiety to love yourself? That's the first thing I would say. Amazing. I love you so much. I love Thank you, so you for much. being here. I'm so, so grateful. I know we have to wrap, which makes me really sad because I have so many other questions, but we'll do another, we'll yeah. do another podcast yeah. another day. I'm always um, here. You know where to find me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you if they want to take your courses, watch your new TEDx talk, buy your book that's coming out? Where, yeah. where can they go? My website is ashleystahl.com. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L. Or else you can find me on Instagram at Ashley Stahl. And I love hearing from people there. And yes, I have my new TED Talk out called How to Figure Out What You Really Want. I think it's one of my best pieces of work when it comes to like really channeling what I've learned over the years and figuring out what a life looks like for me on purpose. So hopefully people check that TEDx out. And thank you for having me, Sarah. I love you. And I think that people who listen to you are... I think luckier than everybody realizes because you have invested more in yourself, your energy, the person you are than most people I know in personal development. And so I don't think people realize necessarily they're getting somebody who is taking years and hours of books and conversations and channeling them into probably what is going to be such a powerful podcast for them. Oh, I love you. Thank you so much for that. I I feel the same for you. And I wish that we would have had more time to talk about the TEDx talk because it's absolutely incredible. I watched Ash basically write this podcast from start to finish for a set for a month, right? Basically day in and day out. And it's just incredible. And the story that you're going to hear from that TEDx talk is going to blow your mind. So I will link mm-hmm. it below. Definitely watch it from start to finish. You're going to want to watch the whole thing. And let us know your thoughts mm-hmm. on this podcast and let us know your thoughts on the TEDx talk and connect with us. We're here to support. So sending everyone so much love. All right, friends, are you feeling inspired to create change in your career or become more empowered in finding fulfillment in your life? That's the Ashley effect. I get that not everyone listening today may be able to upgrade their career instantly or switch their careers tomorrow or even want to, but I challenge you this week to take a deep, deep look into your relationship between health and your career. Start to make a list of any areas that need an upgrade and honor whatever adjustments or changes in your routine need to be made. Additionally, if you are ready to make a change, start to visualize yourself being able to make these changes that serve your future growth. You can do this during meditation or right when you wake up in the morning or right before you go to bed. So again, make a list of whatever areas in your career aren't serving your well-being and identify how you're going to make an upgrade and then visualize yourself stepping in to the change that you want to make. I wholeheartedly believe that we all have the potential to create change and to fully realize our dreams and the relationship you have with your career is one of the steps that fosters that growth. Thank you so much for being here. As you implement these tips we talked about today, make sure to send me your feedback 
Make sure to let me know how you're doing. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, my friends, I'm sending you so much love. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.